This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Go, if you will, to the book of Philippians. And I want to say this. This will be our final teaching on this particular subject. And I want to end it with putting us in remembrance of what God has taught us. I think we have had enough teaching on how to stay focused and undistracted that we can apply that. We can live in that. Because God is going to take a turn now. He's already taken a turn in my private time with Him. And so starting next Sunday, God is going to make a turn. And we're going to move on. But now that you're focused and undistracted, you must stay that way. You've got to hold on to what you've been taught. You've got to hold on to the teachings because distractions will come. Things will come. Situations will come. Circumstances will come. All kinds of, let me tell you, just horrific things will come. But you have to stay focused in the midst. Now, this is our ninth teaching, I think, on this. Or is it our eighth? I think it's our ninth. Ninth teaching. Now, you have enough teaching. So even if you get off focus, you need to go and get those teachings and get back on focus. Get back on focus. Stay undistracted. Don't let nobody get in your ear and get you off point. Get you off of what you need to be focused on. Amen. So this will be our last teaching. I'm going to touch on some of the things that we talked about. I'm going to end with some uh, some other information. And I want you to, to, uh, to be encouraged because God is going to move us on. And because he's going to move us on, we got to put this in our arsenal and then we have to move. We got to move we got to say, okay, God, you've shown us, you've told us, you've told us all the different things that have come up. You've shown us how to be undistracted, how to stay focused, and we're going to do it. Amen? Are you in the book of Philippians, chapter 2? Again, we are on this subject of staying focused and undistracted, and we have to hold it. Stay in focus, in the midst, because things will happen. Things will come up. Amen. And then I told you every week that to be focused and undistracted, undistracted means to stay the course. You have to learn to stay the course. In the, I was hearing the minister this morning. Let me tell you what he was saying about marriage. You have to stay the course. In the midst. And like he said, you're going to have good, you're going to have bad times, you're going to have all of that. So you can walk around and play like, oh, everything. Nope, that's not the way it works. But you must stay focused. You must be, and those of you that are unmarried, you must hear this now. You must hear. Be mature enough not to think they don't want us to get married. Don't be immature like that. Listen. I'm going to be like Pastor Hill. Everybody that get married after this marriage counseling, if you ask for counseling, we're going to have to charge you. Or you should be in every one of these classes 
so you can, you know, I'm going to teach a portion of it as well, because you should know, and you should be focused. Let me tell you, I'm, uh, let, let me tell you something so you will understand this about me. I know you don't understand a lot of things about the things of God, but understand this one thing. I do operate in the gift of discernment, and I can discern when you don't want to be counseled. I, I can discern that, and I can back off. <laughs> See, I know you don't think discernment is real, but it is. And it's okay if you don't. But don't come running and want to talk. And can we have lunch or brunch or something so I can talk? No. If I, you want to have lunch and brunch with me, I'm eating. I'm not talking. You know, don't, uh-uh. For what? Well, I'm only going to eat. Because these are the times that you should be getting all of this in and, and, and having to do. Because marriage is no game. And marriage is not a plaything. And marriage is not something you just do because you think you can sleep with somebody every night. That ain't nothing. Bills will get you out of the bed. Quick! And it ain't no such thing as the lights go off and you're, you letting your light so shine that God gave you. No, baby, you need some lights to get up and walk around. You need some actual light. So that, you better listen. And you better listen carefully. And again, don't be foolish and say you're saying this because you don't want us to get married. That is the silliest and the stupid, the most stupid thing you ever want to think and say is that. Because I'm going to tell you, your marriage is going to be in trouble. Because you're not going to listen to anything. You need to listen. I was listening to it this morning. I'm like, they don't, everything they need is right here. Those that are still doing their little spring break thing, you're missing the word. I mean, and it's okay to go on spring break, but you know what? You should have been back today just to get the word. Amen? And then I told you that there's nothing new. The adversary is going to take something old and make it look new to you to distract you. Oh, this. No, no, it's old. It's old. He don't have any new tricks. He don't have anything new. So he'll make it look new to you, but it's old. Everything that the enemy throws at you is old. Been done before. Amen. Always remember this. Always remember this. Games are usually won and lost by mistakes. When you're in marriage, when you're on a job, when you're in relationships, when you whatever it is. The winning and the losing is who makes the most mistakes is going to lose. And you can continue to make mistakes. Games are won and lost by mistakes. You see that all the time in football, basketball, or any sport. The one who loses is people that may, because they're all professionals, but the one who loses is the one that makes the most mistakes. The one who loses in life is going to be the one that makes the most mistakes. You don't have to when God has given you the answer. I told you that God can't use a person who can't keep a course. God has already created a pattern for your life that you can follow. It's when you get off that path 
that the struggles come and the things happen and, and, and all kind of adversities come. You got to stay on the pattern that God has placed you on because there's nothing worse than a believer that don't know what to do in times of trouble. And that's easy. It's easy when you are off the pattern of God. You don't know what to do when situations come up, when circumstances. You don't know what to do. You don't even know who to call on. But most of the time you call on those people that are in as much trouble as you're in. And they'll help you get out of, out of whatever, because it might just take something natural. But notice, it'll come right back. Last week we were looking at the reality, or the last couple of weeks, and the essentiality of being filled with the Holy Ghost and the power that it brings. And we had a group of people got filled with the Holy Ghost. And you have power. It's not about a feeling. The power's down on the inside. The power is real. Amen. And we looked over in Acts chapter 2 and we saw that the Holy Spirit was for you. It's for your children, and it's for all that are far off, even though all those that the Lord our God has called. It's for you. It's important to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You cannot, cannot have access to God and know what He's thinking without being filled with the Holy Ghost. That is your connection. That's why Jesus left Him here, so that your connection could be straight to the throne room of God by the Holy Spirit. And the power that's on in it. We got, we got rid of just thinking about speaking in tongues. That's just showing that you do have it. But that's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the Holy Ghost. One and the same. Speaking in tongues. That All that is is evidence. Evidence that you have it. But he is there whether you, whether, whether you show it or not. If you have asked him to come into your heart and fill you with the Holy Ghost, he's there. But wrong teaching will have you scared of speaking in tongues, scared of just, just nothing. Speaking in tongues, that's just, a, that's just an extra gift. That's the extra gift. That's just a prayer language that only God can hear. Only God knows. You're speaking to Him. You're not speaking to people. You're speaking to Him. And He understands perfectly. You don't have to worry about somebody saying, I don't know if that's tongue. It didn't sound like... Well, first of all, they're not speaking to you. Because guess what? If you walk into another country and you hear them speak another language, you'll say the same thing. Oh, that can't be no language. What are they saying? Because you don't understand it. Because it doesn't sound like your dialect don't mean that it's not so. And you don't have to listen to somebody else and try to sound like them. None of that. But the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Trust Him. Trust Him to lead and direct and guide you. Trust Him. He'll be there. And I told you nothing that is of God can carry out God's plan for existence unless there has been an intervention in the life of it by the Holy Spirit. There must, the Holy Spirit must touch it. I want the Holy Spirit to touch everything that I'm doing in my life. And you should want the same thing. Amen. Uh, are we in Philippians chapter 2? 
uh, do I want to read that? No, because I'll take up a lot of time. We, we've read, read those things. I also told you that the single most reason that people do not grab a hold and, uh, of what God is saying about the Holy Spirit or what God's calling is upon their life is that they do not stay focused and they get distracted. That's the single most reason. They're not focused and they're distracted. And I gave you a few of the prophets in the land that we saw that didn't have, wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit walked alongside them. But they had powerful testimonies of how they did in worshiping God, in, in getting victory from Noah to Daniel to, to Elijah to Job, all of them. They, they were not filled with the Holy Ghost. We are filled with them. He's living on the inside of us. We have more power than they had. And if they could withstand it, so can we. So can we. Amen. And you know, some of us in the body of Christ, we have so much available to us and we don't use it. We don't use it. I'm telling you, the Old Testament saints, they look at us and they think to themselves, how can they not use it? The angels look at us and say, oh my God, if I could only have what they have. If they look what all they have, and it's ninety nine percent of the time God's people don't even use it. Most of the time, a lot of the show and the the, the all the stuff shown on TV, all of, all a lot a lot of the time. I didn't say all of the time. A lot of the time is just people acting out. The power's on the inside. Are you with me? Remember, you're a moving train, and if you hop off the train, it's gonna keep moving. When you go back to where you started, you know how people say, okay, now I'm ready. You go back and you find out God is not there. Because why? You have to keep moving. The train has to keep moving. And it does keep moving. Amen. And then we talked about uh, the fullness of the Godhead. The whole fullness of the Godhead, God invested in Jesus. He invested, but by, just by virtue of what he did on the cross, the, by virtue of that, the fullness of the Godhead is in Christ Jesus. And, it's, and then the Bible teaches us, he said, now, he given him a name that is above every name. And he said, and I'm going to give you that name. So that name that's above every name, I'm going to give you that name. That's power in that name. I don't care who it didn't work for, who it do work for. Power in the name. And most of the time, listen to me closely, most of the time when you see people struggling that love the Lord, that are walking in the things of God, that I guarantee you they've eaten out of a, off of a lot of plates. When you eat off a lot of plates and let everybody start teaching you and listen to this ministry, that ministry. And again, you listen to what you want to. I'm just telling you, that's how people have gotten their whole life, uh, you know, the I mean, before they were ready to go, had to go. Because they don't know which, what to choose, where to choose. Because they done ate so much off a different place. You got to stay with the main course. If the entree is your choice, stay there. And don't think because a ministry is big that they know what they're talking about. That's another trap. You got to stick with what you know. And if it's biblical, you stay there. I, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me how people are all over the place. 
They're this ministry, they're that ministry. I'm going here, I'm going there. They're just searching out, moving on their own, and they're never rooted, grounded, settled, and established. So when times and things come up in life, they struggle. And they're always going to struggle because they don't know which... I know we learned this, but you know what? I heard this the other day. But should you have been eating off that plate? Well, I heard they had a deliverance ministry and they do this and they do that. There's no such thing as a deliverance ministry. Jesus' ministry delivered us all. It, it ain't, it, all of that's man-made stuff. You got to stay with what you know. And when you know that it's biblically sound, then you stay there. You don't move away and say, well, you know, I was listening to so-and-so and they said this. I was listening to so-and-so and they said this. Well, is it contrary what you hear at your ministry? Because if it is, then you know what? You need to say, now, wait a minute. Because in the ministry, we backed it up with Scripture. I don't, instead of saying, you know what, okay, I'm going to take this because it sounds good. A sound won't keep you. You got to know the truth, receive the truth. Amen. I like all power in heaven and earth. And then we start talking about being humble and what God meant, what, what, what Jesus did when he became humble. He humbled himself. The first thing the Bible says that he humbled himself. We start getting into what humble was because a lot of people think humble is a lot of things that it's not. And people can, be, they can come uh, get out from being humble so quick. We said that a humble is not a, a look. It's not a downcast look. It's not the way you walk. It's not the way you say something. It's not the way you back down if somebody says something wrong. That's not humble. That's not humble. Go with me to First Peter. We went here last week, but I'm 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 going to go on go on back there because I, I don't want to, but I'm 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 going to anyway. First Peter five and five. Are you there? It says, "Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elders. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble." And I told you, at this point, it brings it down to a place where it's not about it's not about who's in charge. And I told you plainly, I said a person that's in leadership, a pastor, or anyone in any kind of leadership that do not submit to the followers, that's a poor leader. We must submit to one another. Amen? Submit to one another. And I like what it says here, that he resists the problem. He resists the problem. Let me give you a definition of resist. It's ignoring, ignoring the attraction of something, wrong or otherwise. So in other words, when you're walking around in pride, God ignores you. That's resisting. He ignores you. Mm, you need to watch for pride. To resist means to struggle against, against someone. Nope. I'm not, I'm not even hearing it. The Bible says that he resists the pride, the proud, in verse 5, God resisteth the proud and give grace to the humble. Now, when I know that resist means he ignores, then I need to make sure that I'm not walking in pride. 
Because I never want God to ignore me. Because when God starts ignoring me, guess what? You're going to start doing your own thing. And I don't care how long you've been in ministry. I don't care how long you love the Lord. How much you say you know about the Word. What did I tell you? Longevity does not make qualification. Knowledge does. I said longevity does not make qualification. Knowledge does. I don't care how long you... People, let me tell you, people been in this ministry since it began and still don't know anything. You've been on that job forever and you still don't know anything. That's why somebody come in and get your job. It's not about longevity. It's about knowledge and understanding and knowing what the knowledge is. That's what's going to get you the reward. To say, okay, I understand this. I understand exactly what God is saying. And then humility comes in. Humility comes in. And then we said, we start giving different definitions of humility. And I'm going to walk through some of them. We said humility is strength yielded to the Holy Spirit. And I told you, humility without strength is weakness. Humility without strength is weakness. Humility is strength yielded to the Holy Spirit. Humility without strength is weakness. I told you that humility is the opposite of weakness. So you don't have to walk around and act like you're just weak and timid. No, no, no. That's not humility. Humility is the opposite. Of that kind of reaction. You don't have to try to look a certain way to act like you you have humility. No, that's not humility. Are you with me? Hmm. I told you that weakness means that you're operating from a position of a disadvantage. When you're weak, you're operating from a position of disadvantage. Somebody has the upper hand on you. Humility, listen, is having the advantage. See, humility is having the advantage and choosing not to use it for the sake of someone else. See, I have, you, you cannot be humble if you have nothing to be humble with. You have to have something to be humble with. Jesus had something to be humble with. You can't be humble and have nothing to be humble with. You don't want to be at a disadvantage. So we are people that humble people has the advantage. And then we looked at temperance. And we looked at humility. And I told you that they almost seem like they're the same, but they're not. There is a difference. I told you that temperance operates out of agape. That kind of love. The love that says, I'm going to do it because God's word says it. Humility operates out of the philos love. That's the kind of love that says, I'm going to do it. And I have feelings when I do it. I have emotions involved when I do what I do. Tempers not necessary, not necessarily have any any emotional thing attached to it. I just do it. Are you with me? Again, temperance is just acting out of what God and it's a good thing because we need to act out of what God's word says. 
But we need to understand that you can do that, but people people just kind of get kind of a little discouraged. It's all you do is do it because the Word says it, not because I really love you or really care for what the situation that you're in, but when you out of, operate out of the philos love, then you operate out of emotions. That means I'm going to do something for you. See, I'm going to feed you because if you're hungry, period. Why? Because God's Word said it. That's temperance. God's Word said if I'm hungry, feed them. So I'll do that. But now, humility is, you're hungry, I feed you, we sit down, we talk, we have conversation, maybe we go out to eat, maybe we talk. Now my emotions are involved, philos involved. And I told you in my study time, I found out the philos kind of love is more stated in the scripture than agape. I didn't say agape love was wrong because it's the God kind of love. It's doing it because the Word says it. And I believe that everybody should at least start there. Amen? But then it should grow into the philos love. Humility, I said, also means not putting myself in position to be exalted by man for self-recognition. And I gave you some example. I told you about the deacons, those that have humility. I don't. I am not interested in a covert humility. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in somebody showing me what they can do so other people can see them or are doing it for me to see. That's covert humility. No good for me. And I told you. If you want to catch my eye, I you know, my eye always go to people that are not jockeying for position. People that do things that nobody knows about. People that do things behind the scenes. See, everybody come in here, you enjoy the beauty of this, and you enjoy, enjoy the cleanness, but somebody cleaned it behind the scenes. Somebody got things done behind the scenes. Somebody comes up here doing the week while you're laying in the bed and they're cleaning and making sure everything is nice and comfortable for you. Somebody's doing that. But now if you're coming and say, well, when is pastor's going to be there? Or when is so-and-so going to be there? I'm going to come and help clean. So someone can see that's a covert humility. And I'm not interested. And again, I'll tell you again so you'll know, I operate in the gift of discernment. And I don't discern no no. No demon on every corner, and you know, you know, some people call that discernment. I discern you have a demon. I discern, you know, to believers and all. No, no, no. I'm talking about discernment, true discernment. And I know you don't know nothing about it, so you don't think it's real. But baby, believe me, it's real. And you know it's real right now because of what I've already told you and what's in your head. How would she know that? It's called discernment. So it ain't, you're not going to fool me and get by nothing. But even if you happen to, guess who you will never fool? God. Because I am human and I am subject to miss it. Every now and then. I might get tied up and discernment is there and I'm so caught up with something. I might. Everybody say she said might. Baby. I might miss it. But God don't, ever. And then he'll put me, he'll say, excuse me, 
Did you see that? That's something I'm going to need you to pray about. And I'm like, I missed that altogether, God. Like, you, well, you, well, now you got it. So, I'm not interested. And I, and I told you that our deacons was an example, and they're not the only ones in this ministry. We got plenty of people in this ministry that are awesome. And that, I mean, they have humility. But I'm just lifting our deacons up because they are awesome. I'm telling you, you remember one time our founding pastor told people about their jobs, and he said, treat your boss like God. I don't care if you don't like him. That was so hard for so many people. Uh, uh. He's, no, you got to treat authority. See, that's because that's what you're doing, because you have to stay under authority. Well, I'm saying that to say this. That's how the deacons treat me. They treat me as if I'm God. Not worshiping me as God, but they teach, treat me with that respect. When I, and I say that to say this. When I ask them to do something, I'm turning around, going back to my office, and it's done. And I'm like, what? wait, I would, thought they were going to take a little time. No, they boom, they own it, and it's done, and they move on to something else. That's treating you with the respect. That, that's the way you answer God. Now, let me make sure I let everybody know so you won't come here talking foolish and thinking foolish. I didn't say they treated me as if I was God himself, and that's our God. No, no, no. They treat me with the respect that I ask to get something done before I look around it's done and I'll be like man I can't give these deacons nothing to do it they be boom 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 I'm slow they, they moving and you know what they do they just say whether they like it or don't like it or whatever they just say yes ma'am pastor we got it we got it done and one day I'm just, I just gotta say this one day when it was, was kinda cold I don't know Oh, somebody had messed with the van outside, or somebody was trying to break in it or whatever. And I got through minister up here, and that was when all of you all was at home and we came up here. And, you know, so, some of us didn't get to stay home all the time. We had to come up here. And uh, so it was, it was doing that. And, and, and so after I got through ministering, the deacons had never said nothing to me. And I walked outside, and all of a sudden the deacons surround me. I was like, uh-oh, what the devil's going on here? But they waited till I got through ministering. And they said, Pastor, we just want you to know. What, and they start telling me everything that somebody tried to break in the van and everything like that. That's just respect. They didn't bother me before because they see me when I get out the car and come in. They didn't come run to my office to tell me. They just waited till I got through with everything. And then they told me everything that happened. And they handled that. And they handle stuff and just walk off. They don't, they're not looking for that. You'd be like, well, wait. Okay, and, and you know, I get a text from Deacon Burris, and I, I'm 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 thinking, what? And he's telling me everything that and got everything lined up for me and down. I'm like, oh, he's on the ball. Respect. And not only that, they believe this is their ministry. See, if you don't believe it's your ministry, you ain't gonna do much of nothing. You're going to talk about the pastor. You're going to murmur and complain. But when it's your ministry, you get in there and move. And you know what? For that, whenever I, something I want to do, I ask them their advice. I say, what do you think we should do? What do you think works? 
They'll glare out for me. I say, what do you think it's worth? And they'll tell me what they think it's worth. I say, make it happen. Because why? I trust them. And a lot of, they know more about a lot of the stuff that they're telling me about, but they still, they still making my decision. They don't come in and say, well, we know pastor don't know nothing about this. Let me just tell her this is what we need to do. They lay it out for me and they let me make the decision. And God said, just ask them what they'll do. You trust them. I trust them. I've given them the position to be there. They'll get it done. And I said, make it happen. And they be, yes, ma'am, and they're gone. They're not looking for, not, they're not trying to get any recognition from man. Are you with me? We also said humility takes away your need to know everything. You don't have to know everything. That's what's wrong with people. You want to know everything. Let me tell you, if you knew everything about this ministry and everything that goes on in this ministry, you couldn't even handle it. You couldn't even handle it. You don't need to know everything that's going on in everybody's life. I don't want to know everything that's going on in everybody's life. You know why? Because when I get up here and teach, I don't want you to say, she's talking about me. Just keep it to yourself. So you can go home and say, God was talking about me. Good. Now you know it was God, not me. So I don't need to know about your business or whatever. Now, I have close relationship with some people that they'll tell me some little personal things. or some, Like, for instance, Raya and, and Elise, different things I talk to them about. They're young, and, they, and, and this, is, this is the key, they're young, and they listen. Now, whether they do it or not, that's not my department. But they listen. They listen. And if I do a private message to, with them on Facebook, they hit me right back. And I ask them a certain question or whatever, they hit me right back. But for the most part, I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to know what you have. I don't care about how much money you have in the bank. I don't care what you put in the offering. I don't. The only thing that I make sure, and 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 and, and the office personnel, they know. They, they only give me things that they feel like I need to know. If I don't need to know it, I don't want to know it. Just handle it. I don't need that. Just handle it. But if it's something that will pass, I think, I think you need to know this or that. But other than that, I don't care. I don't know. I don't, because that's between you and God. Now, if you're a leader here, I expect you to tithe. I expect you to give. Lay people, I expect that too, but more so of the leaders. If the lay people don't, I, I'm not even sweating it, but you're not going to lead here and not, and, and, and not participate. Because let me tell you, you've got to lead by example. My pastor taught me that a long time ago. He said, no, we're going to lead by example at all times. And we have to do that. But you don't have to know everything all the time. Are you with me? And then we said, let's see, where am I? Humility is yielding your advantage to another. Yield your advantage to another. 99.9% of the time that people get involved in foolishness is because of pride. When people start talking about other people or doing something, just getting involved in foolishness is because of pride. Everybody say pride. Amen. Now, God has given us the Holy Ghost. We don't have to walk like that. 
Humility, humility also means not to think more highly of yourself than you ought. Amen. Never think more highly of yourself. You know what? No matter how much people respect me around here, no matter how much they love me, because I do know people that love me around here and everything, I never think more highly of myself than I ought. I'm going to stay who I am because I know who I am. And God knows who I am. You should never think more highly of yourself. I don't care about any title. And I think this is where we began the new information. Humility, write it down, allows you to look at the need rather than what you want. Humility will call you, cause you to look at the need rather than what you want. Jesus humbled himself and he became obedient. So then if we're going to enjoy the fullness of what God has given us through Christ Jesus, then we must be obedient to God. That word everybody don't like. Go with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Come on, you can get there. Hebrews chapter 5. Jesus is our example. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, don't interpret like God had to beat up on Jesus or he had to cause something to happen to him for him to learn to obey. God didn't put sickness and disease on him. You know how they say, yeah, God's whooping him. God doesn't whoop. Not like that. So when, when we say in the things that he suffered in verse 8, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to paraphrase this as what that, what that actually means. And then I'm going to give you another scripture to back it up. When it says that he, when it says that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered, if you had a Greek mind, it would read like this. Jesus became accustomed to and understood the benefits of obedience. This allowed him to suffer. I'll say it again. Jesus became accustomed to and understood the benefits of obedience and that allowed him to suffer. Now, I'm going to give you another verse of Scripture, you know, to, to, to verify this again. But, but look, go over to Hebrews chapter 12. Let me verify it. 12 and 2. It says, Looking unto Jesus, the often finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He knew the benefits. He endured the cross. He knew the benefits. Are you following me? Endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now this gives us verification. He knew the benefits of suffering, and that, and that allowed him to suffer. Whatever, everything he went through, he knew the benefits. He knew the benefits. The benefits that it was going to bring many children to him. The benefits. He understood that. He endured the cross. Write this down. We're talking about, see, obedience got him the reward. Write this down. Obedience brings the reward. Now, this is what gives you the major advantage. 
Obedience brings the reward. Look at your life. How have you been rewarded will show how your obedience was to God. Obedience brings the reward. If you want to be rewarded by God, obey. Simplicity. Another example of that kind of reward, when we obey God, you should expect a fruitful life. You should expect a fruitful life. He said that he has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. When we obey God, it brings us discipline. And discipline is always achieved through obedience. Discipline is always achieved through obedience. I'll say it again. Discipline is always achieved through obedience. Actually, discipline is habitual obedience. That's what discipline is. Habitual obedience. In other words, you just obey, 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 obey. Listen. And when you've obeyed so long... And so much that you don't think about it anymore. Now it's no longer called obedience. It's called discipline. Did you get that? Habitual obedience. It's when I obey, obey, obey. You know, I keep, I have to force myself. You know, we have forced obedience. That's when you're really young and you're, you're really stupid. And you, you have to force yourself to obey. And all of us been there, so I want you to keep calling me stupid. No, all of us was once there where we had to force ourselves to obey. For, oh, i got to obey this. Oh, God, I can't believe your word said that. But okay, I'll obey, I'll obey. That's forced obedience. But you kept doing it. And then all of a sudden, you don't have to force yourself anymore. Then you just start, just, just, for example, when you first start tithing, you know, when you had to, 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 to do a cashier's check, because you didn't want your check to bounce, and you were forcing yourself, and you had your little money in your hand, and you were like, ooh, I need this for something else, but, uh, and it, and, and the something else is just, just, just to blow it, or whatever, but you, but you forced yourself to do it, because you knew God's word said, and you kept doing it, and you kept doing it, till all of a sudden, it wasn't anything you forced to do no more, it was, became automatic, you became disciplined in it. But you first start off, with obey, 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 it does, you don't become disciplined by obeying, falling, obeying, falling, 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 back obeying, obeying, fall, fall, no, 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 not obey, fall, obey, fall, obey, fall. You're not disciplined. That's how it is in exercise. That's how it is in anything. It's when you constantly do it. I look at my sons and my daughter-in-law. They are disciplined to exercise. Now, what do they do? Every morning, fail, come with not. They got their pattern. That's called discipline. They, you know what? Their body had to obey, obey, and obey. They didn't, when they started off, they didn't want to do it all the time. But they kept. First, they had to force obedience. Get on down there. Uh, I don't want to. See, and then, but you kept doing it, kept doing it. Now they don't even think about it. 
I could hear it in my bedroom. I could hear him moving around at 3 in the morning. Because, you know, I don't sleep all the time. So I'm already up. And I could hear him move around. But it's an obedience. So it, now it's not something they think of. It's a normal thing. Because why? Now it's a discipline. So it is with the Word of God. It's the exact same way. If I obey long enough, whatever He's telling me to do, it will leave from obedience and become discipline in my life. And I will become a disciplined person. Period. That's the way it works. But you've got to start somewhere. And you've got to keep obeying until it becomes discipline. Somebody ought to say amen just because it's true. But it starts with step-by-step obedience. Start there. It's okay. It doesn't matter how long you've been church. I told you, longevity does not count. Knowledge does. You just got knowledge. So I don't care if you start now. You've been in, you've been in this church for 30 years. I don't care if it's starting now. Do it step by step. I'm just going to obey. I'm just going to obey here. I'm going to obey here. See, stop trying to obey afar off because you, you, you can't even do one step. So why are you trying to obey? Just start right there. Well, let's start. Let's start real easy. Just obey God and clean your house. See, we want to get to the major stuff. Let's get just clean up. Let's find some discipline in that. I'm just going to clean up every day. And I ain't going to tell you no lie because, see, that's a big lie that everybody thinks. There's nowhere in the scripture where it says, cleanliness is next to godliness. That's that's not scriptural. That's just something some man made up. And you swore it was scripture until now. Holiness is next to godliness. Now, I can probably find that in the word. But let's just start there. Clean that house. Go get some fabuloso and mop. Every day. Every day? Well, you're trying to get some discipline. Mm, she really can discern. Oh, yeah. I told you that. Step by step. So, one of the rewards of obedience is discipline. Another reward, it makes us useful. When we obey God, He can use us. When we obey, it brings us into maturity. Obedience brings us into maturity. It brings us to a point where if you want God to use you, learn to obey. Some of you haven't obeyed in so long, and you wonder. And, 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 and this is the sad part, and it, it just breaks my heart. And my sad part is some of you are going to go to heaven without doing anything God told you to do because you don't have the, the discipline. You know if you have a calling on your life, do you know you've got to answer to God for that? Do you know judgment is for that? He's going to ask you about that talent. He's going to say, so step up here. Now tell me what you did with that talent I gave you. Tell me what you did. What did did you do?
Don't mess around with that. It's too serious. And guess what? We're getting too old to be messing around and playing around. And see, when, when debt start hitting close to home, it makes you start thinking. We're going to deal with that in, in this next turn that God has taken us to. So he'll, He can use us, and, he, and it brings us to maturity. We need to mature. Now look, are you still in Hebrews 12? Let's, let, let's go back, verse 2 through 4. Looking unto Jesus, the often finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endureth the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Have you? Have you? Go back over to Hebrews chapter 5, a few pages over. Back over to Hebrews 5, 8 and 9. Though he was a son, he learned, learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. That obey Him. So then obedience brings us into maturity that God wants us to be in. God needs us to be mature. In Philippians chapter 2 it says, He was obedient even unto death. Even unto death. So then if I'm going to have the benefits that God wants for us to have, then through the scriptures, then we must what? Mortify the deeds of the flesh. Crucify this flesh. This flesh is good for nothing. I don't care how we bathe it, how we make it up, how we clothe it, how we try to make it smell. The flesh is the flesh. And it is good for absolutely nothing. It's flesh. And here's the point. Jesus suffered death on the cross. That was a physical thing that he did. A physical thing. Because remember, he was preeminent in all things. Because that which is natural must be first, according to the scriptures. So this was a natural thing he done. So Jesus suffered a physical death in the natural, but there's a cross for all of us to suffer. So we have a spiritual cross. There's no natural cross for you to get on. It's been paid. But there is a cross that we all must bear. Spiritually. A spiritual cross. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul makes it clear. Let me see. Do we need to go over to Galatians chapter 2? Run over. Just a few pages over. Paul makes it very clear that Jesus suffered a physical cross, but we have to suffer a spiritual cross. In, in Galatians 2 verse 20, it says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul speaking that we must crucify the deeds of the flesh. What did he say? We must crucify our flesh. 
So when Jesus crucified his flesh, let me tell you, that took care of us. And who is this I that lives? The inner man. The spirit man that lives on the inside. That's who he's talking about. The inner man. So you and I must understand that everything in our lives that exalts itself against the knowledge of God must be nailed to the cross. Everything, every thought that's contrary to the Word of God, we must take it and nail it to the cross. Our spiritual cross is there for us. Nail it to the cross. Run over to Colossians. Come on, you you could do a little you could do a little Bible study without it being on on uh, Wednesday. Colossians chapter two, beginning at verse six. Come on, come on. We got we got a little time. As ye have therefore, where am I? In verse six. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, either the, even the tradition after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of this world and not after Christ. This is where we need to be focused and undistracted. Don't let somebody or something talk you out of the position that you're in. Look at verse 9. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete. You are complete. You are complete in him which is the head of all principalities and powers. Now, if he is the head of principalities and powers, and you are complete in him, tell me how in the world can a believer be possessed? How in the world do you have a deliverance ministry delivering people that say they're saved when you're complete in him? How? Didn't we just read that? Let's read it again. Verse 9 and 10. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him which is the head of all principalities and powers. Now please listen to me because this will stop you from running around playing with demons. Playing with all that kind of foolishness. And wanting to run the deliverance ministry that's playing with all kind of demons and playing around with all kind of foolishness. If anyone talked to you about somebody that's supposed to be a believer being possessed with the devil and they want you to come with it, we're going to lay it, we're going to cast the devil out of it. Let me tell you, nothing is going to happen until you get that person saved. They're not saved. I don't care how long they've been in the church. 
You can go and we cast out the devil, we bind, we rebuke, we do all, you can do all of that. Nothing is going to happen until that person has been saved. It can't happen. That's paradoxical and contradictory for that to say that you are completing him. This is a believer that's supposed to be completing him, all the fullness of the Godhead, and he's over all principalities and powers. And we're standing up here rebuking the devil in their life. How is that possible when he said you are completing him? The devil and the Holy Spirit can't live together in you. So, deliverance ministry, out the window. Jesus already delivered you. We, we got a deliverance ministry. What a deliverance from what? Most sinners don't even go to that stuff. They got enough sin. Do you know the Bible says that the children of darkness is wiser than the children of light? That sinner don't even go to that. A bunch of people that say they saved in there. He's a prophet. He's an apostle. He cast the devil out of them right now. And they gave them bags and they threw up in them. Honey, it's what they ate last night. There ain't no demon. That's food they ate last night. That was that rotten pizza. That's all that was. You mean all of these people are saved and full of demons? No. Not when he said you're complete in him. And he's the head of all principalities and powers. No way. Listen, when it comes to the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of God, listen, that's why you have to get them saved. Because even if they are, they're not saved if they are possessed. But once you get them saved, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit comes in, the demon goes out. They don't live together. Once they receive Jesus, it can't stay there. Period. It ain't, this is not no ma- God didn't give us nothing major that we couldn't, you know, we follow me. We make things of the scripture way bigger and, and complicated. You know, we love to say it's complicated. Well, no, not the scriptures. Because he plainly lays it out. Now, this is different. You can't have a devil, but you can be spoiled. We just read it. You can be spoiled. We just read it. Or oppressed. Not possessed. Did you hear me? Look at verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you. You can be spoiled. Somebody can spoil you and get you distracted and off focus. See, when you go in and eating off every plate again, spoil you. Getting things running off in your mind. Get you all distracted and bent out of shape. Why? Because you have been spoiled. 
men's philosophy and men's deal. They just, you know, well, you, you know what gets people, this is what gets them. This means I don't need to look at no scripture. I just believe everything you say. All you got to do is give them an honorary doctorate. And they'll listen to anything you say. You, they don't even look at scripture no more. He's a doctor. He's got to know. Most of them get honorary doctorate. Do you know what an honorary doctorate is? You didn't study for it. They didn't give it to you. Now you're a doctor. And now we don't need you to show us no scripture. Just tell us and we'll believe it. Because of course God will talk to somebody with a doctorate. Especially he'll talk to somebody that's a doctorate over somebody that graduated from high school with a few semesters of college. Now God can't be talking to them. I love the way my God works. But that's all people need these days. That's where the trap and the trick, and that's where men's hearts are going to start failing them because of fear. That's where the great falling away is coming in play. Right now, even as we speak, behind all of this kind of stuff. Just believe in what somebody said. See, I'm taking you to Scripture so you won't say you... you I, I just heard her say that. Because see, a lot of you in here, even though you've been in this ministry a while, you, you know what? You just believe what I say just because I said it. And that's just wrong as... as what did Sister John say? Um, uh, rain on a 4th of July picnic. You need to go and you need to investigate. Make sure I'm right. Listen, this is very important. This is very, very important. You have power over all the works of the wicked one unless you don't know Jesus. Unless you don't know Jesus. Are you with me? Oh, what scripture do I want to go to? Because this is... Hmm... Let me see what's I here. Verse, where was I in Colossians? Because you, you all done got me all messed up. Okay, 10. Okay, verse 11. Strengthened with all might. Well, let me go from 10 on down because I'm going to read through 12. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in knowledge of God. Strengthening with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness giving thanks unto the father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life i bet you don't understand that verse listen you were buried with him in baptism that's what he's talking about right here he's talking about water when you accepted him, you were buried with him in the baptism. Read verse 12 again. Giving thanks unto the Father which had made us meet to be partakers of the saints. Well, wait a minute. Where am I? See these, these eyes. Giving thanks unto the Father which had made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. Listen. We need to understand that we were buried in baptism. 
we're talking about water, when we're talking about that, that's how you identify that you've been buried with him. You need to understand that. When you get baptized, listen, in the Holy Ghost, listen, you're not buried with God when you get baptized with the Holy Ghost. With the water you do, you do. You identify with Christ. But when you get buried in the Holy Ghost or baptized in the Holy Ghost, you're not buried. Then you're being raised from the dead. When you get baptized with the Holy Ghost, you're being raised from the dead. Power. Listen, you were buried in sin. You were buried in junk. You were buried with the, in the filth, all of us. You were buried in all the mess you were in. But then you let the Holy Spirit come on the inside of you. And you were raised and baptized in the Holy Ghost and filled with His Spirit. He raised you up. He raised you up. Baptism with water won't do that. It identifies you with Christ. Baptism with the Holy Spirit does that. Are you with me? So we, by the Holy Spirit, we are filled with His Spirit. That is through the faith that we have and the operation of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus went down as a mere human. And He came up a risen Savior. I said He went down a mere human. Remember, he was in that human body. But he was raised up, the risen Savior. Look at verse 13. Who had delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Listen, we are alive together with him. We're sitting together. You can't have the devil inside of you. You cannot. How can you have anything on the inside of you? Hmm. Again, it's what you ate last night. It's not the devil. Oh, we have to do it. Verse 14, In whom we have redemption through the blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Listen, don't let anybody, listen to me closely, don't let anybody tell you that God is holding something against you. He's giving you forgiveness of sin. No, He hasn't. He has not, He cannot hold anything. God is not holding anything against you. Just because you had an abortion, God is not holding that against you. And I'm speaking to some, somebody here. God is not holding that against you. If you put it under the blood and ask him to forgive you, guess what? That's over. That's over. I said that's over. If you're in here, are you listening? Are you streaming? And if you have used to be a homosexual and you're not now and it's under the blood, guess what? It's over. If you were a lesbian and you put it under the blood, it's over. 
God's not holding that against you. If you have used drugs or using drugs, and you say, God, I want to put this under the blood, God doesn't hold that against you. See, that's what we can't get from, too. We think some things we do, and that's what we want to worry God with. We want, God, what about when I, you know, when I did this? And God, what, God doesn't hold that against you. God's like, when you did what? Did you put that under the blood? Why are you still thinking on those things? It's, o- it's over. Everybody say it's over. If you put it under the blood, God has forgiven, and it's over. Are you, are you with me? If you use liquor, if you got a divorce, if you put it under the blood, it's over. You got to move forward with God. You can't stop. He blotted out all of them dumb mistakes. And all of us have made a dumb mistake before. Nobody has got, you know, got a sign on like, I've never done anything. Nope. All of us have made dumb mistakes. It's over. Look at somebody and say, it's over. And some of you can't get delivered for that very reason. Because you haven't realized that it's over. You just haven't realized it. And God stopped by just to say that. Realize it. It's over. Whatever you've done. Some of you are suffering in your mind. Some of you are suffering in your body because of things that have happened in the past. Listen to me, people. We just read it. You got to go back home and read it. Do not let people spoil you. Don't let them keep talking about what happened. I don't need to. You don't have to keep talking about what I did. Yeah, you remember you did that? Uh-uh. No. You're trying to spoil me. I don't want to know. That's over. It's under the blood. It's over. So if it's over, why are you bringing it up? I'm going to tell you one thing. If you do this again. No! It's under the blood. They can't. If they're sincere, it's under the blood. It's over. But you know, I found out among believers, believers don't like things to be over. Some people want to hold on to that just to, you know, they want a little leverage with that. Well, remember, you know, I think they still hold something against me because, you know, you holding it. Did you put it under the blood? Then it's over. Let's read 14 again. In whom we have redemption through the blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Nail that thing this morning to the cross. Nail it to the cross. Nail it to the cross. Nail that lying tongue to the cross. Nail adultery. Nail fornication. Nail it all to the cross. Whatever it is, it's over. It's over now. You have to tell yourself, the devil has nothing in me. Nothing. Why? Because all the fullness of the Godhead bodily is in me.
and I'm complete in Him. That's why. You got Jesus nailed the mess to the cross. You've been crucified with Christ. Church, it's over. You got to know that. It's over. You want to be used by God? You want to be some good to God? Then say it's over. Nail the mess to the cross. Your spiritual cross. And watch God begin to use you. God will begin to use you. You don't have to ask Him. Let me tell you, He'll he'll interrupt you. He'll say, oh, now that you've nailed that to the cross, and you really realize that it's over, then maybe I can get some use out of you. Before you leave. See, that's the thing. Before we leave. Because we're all going to leave. We're all going to leave. Don't wait. (laughs) You're going to leave. But God said, tell them it's over. Make themselves useful. So I can use them. So that when they stand before me, and the, when, when, when judgment day comes, then they'll have something. They'll, you know, they'll start beginning to put things up in the treasures of heaven. It's not too late. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if it was yesterday. God said, nail it today. Nail it today. I don't care that it was yesterday. I don't care that it was bad yesterday. I don't care if I was off cute yesterday. I don't care if I was off everything yesterday. But now, always look at the but nouns in the Bible. They'll make you encouraged. That'll make you encouraged. God is faithful. He's faithful to you. I want to ask you a question. I'm closed. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever asked yourself this question? What's my purpose? Have you ever asked yourself that? You, you know, you just kind of think. And you'd be like, you know, what is my purpose? Have you ever heard somebody say that? You know, oh, I wish I knew what God's purpose was for my life. And all of us in our own way probably have said that before. I mean, those of, of us that know our purpose, you, you've gone beyond that. But before that. What makes divine purpose confusing is that we as a body of believers, this is what has happened. The church have messed us up. Religion has messed us up. The church has used purpose, callings, and passion interchangeably. That's been our problem. I said, when we ask God, what is my purpose? The church have messed us up. Because we use purpose, calling, and passion interchangeably. Innocently, but incorrectly. Innocently, but incorrectly. But guess what? I'm out of time, but God's not. Now, for me to finish on purpose, you have to come back. On Sunday. But just know, calling, purpose, passion are not interchangeable, even though we use them that way. 
even though we use it innocently, but incorrectly. Stand to your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.